This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Talk Radio 1210. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or 10 months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning and happy Halloween, trick or treat. Welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. We continue our series on diabetes. Last week, we talked about type 1, which was formerly called juvenile diabetes, thought to affect mostly children. We now see type 1 and type 2 in all ages. Today we'll hear from a remarkable man who fits that description. Diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, no symptoms, no signs. And Andy, you were a healthy young man with a good job in the finance world, happily married with two little boys, ages one and a half, and new baby. Welcome for coming to share your story. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to uh, spend some time with you today. So Andy, like a good dad, you had uh, an 18 month and a new little baby and you went to get your life insurance updated, which involves a routine physical. What did you learn at that time? Well, you know, the, the interesting thing was I was actually working in the investment and the insurance business and I already had life insurance with this particular company. So wanting to up our insurance coverage with the new baby, I was shocked when that same insurance company declined my coverage. Mm. And when I inquired as to why, I was told that my A1C was 6.0, which was borderline for type 2 diabetes. And the first question I had was, well, what's, <laughs> what's an A1C? I had, I had no clue what that was. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was uh, pretty shocking. But um, my, uh, my colleagues at work, you know, advised me to go see my doctor, which I did, my primary care doctor. He retested me. The numbers were about the same. So he prescribed a blood sugar meter, told me a little bit about type 2 diabetes, but said, you know what, could have been an anomaly, not really sure, but test your blood sugar a couple of times a week and come back in three months. And I got the, the meter from a pharmacy. I went home, I put it in a drawer and I never touched it because I, you know, there was no way on earth I had type two diabetes. I was, I had just run my first marathon on a whim. I was a couple of years removed being a, being a competitive drug-free bodybuilder. So I just thought there was, this was a mistake. I don't have type two diabetes. So when I went back for retesting a few months later, uh, my A1C was over 12 and he said, you need to go see an endocrinologist. 
Mm -hmm. And of course, as physicians, we always say no test is perfect. We're always going to repeat before we apply a label to a condition and scare the daylights out of somebody. Yes, we're always going to repeat. And then what happened after that? Well, I went to see an endocrinologist and I, I wasn't thrilled with what I was being told. So I went, <laughs> went for a second opinion and thankfully mm -hmm. I did. Mm -hmm. um, but that the doctor that I went to see, he sent me for a test, uh, you know, it's, it's called a C-peptide test, but it, um, it showed that I actually had kind of the onset of what's called LADA, uh, which is a, you know, a latent form of type 1 diabetes in adults. And it was the most shocking thing I had ever heard in my life because up to that point, I had worked so hard to be healthy. I mean, I was a bodybuilder. I was, you know, I just ran a marathon. I ate right. I exercised all the time. And when you put in that effort to be healthy, it's kind of a blow to hear that you have uh, a disease that I knew nothing about. But it just, to me, it sounded like, you know, diabetes isn't that for people who are, you know, not taking care of themselves and mm -hmm. not eating right, not exercising. Right. So it, it, it was a shock. Um, and I'll, I'll never forget still to this day, it's been 16 years, the very first time I was about to give myself an insulin injection. And I was home and I was trying to figure out how to get the uh, insulin out of the vial with a syringe. And I'm having sort of an out-of-body experience with, with all of it and, and accepting it. And I noticed that my younger son or my older son, who was like almost two, he was just watching me, you know, watching me do this. Mm. And it, it hit me like a ton of bricks that his life and his dad and everything he's going to know about me is as a diseased person. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I couldn't change the diagnosis and there would be a lot about the disease that I couldn't control. But in that moment, I knew the one thing I could control was my attitude and what I did next, yeah. how I how I would overcome this and not be defined by a disease, but be defined by how I was going to use it right. to show them that I was, you know, the Superman that I always thought I would be as a dad. Well, and you had already spent your life. You were a college athlete. How many people, and you did two sports. You were a wrestler. You played football, both demanding sports. So it was in your nature to be, you enjoy being fit. So here's your little boy watching you and you say, Mm -mm. I don't want him to see me as a diabetic. I want to be his Superman. And you decided to fight back. And that's when you said, I am going to do what next? <laughs> uh, it's, it sounds crazy, but I, you know, I had previously seen the Ironman triathlon, the one that they show on TV. It's, it's the Hawaii uh, World Championship. And they, when they broadcast that, they always highlight a special interest. You know, there was one year where uh, one of the athletes um, had Lou Gehrig's disease and they followed him and how he used Ironman to raise money for the disease and to, you know, just live, you know, his fullest with what he had left of his life. And I thought to myself, well, you know what, I could do that. You know, how, how hard can it be? And if I can make a lot of noise and get a lot of attention doing the Ironman, not only will I show my sons that I'm not just this disease, that I'm something else, something bigger, but quite possibly I could inspire and motivate other people, anybody sure. who, you know, saw, saw my journey. So sure. I just, in, in that moment, I turned to my wife and I said, I'm going to do the Ironman. And she said, I've never seen you swim. Well, <laughs> so, yeah. A little, little, little details, because for our listeners who aren't familiar with Ironman triathlon, that means you do a marathon of 26.2 miles 
after you've done yeah. a 2.4 mile, 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride. That's 140.6 miles in under 17 hours. Or they say you're, it doesn't count. So it's hard for anyone to complete Ironman, but the additional challenge of type one, not even type two. Tell us a little bit about that in our final two minutes. Yeah. So having to monitor my blood sugar, keep my insulin at levels that are you know, high enough that because when you're exercising, uh, you know, the insulin that you do have in your body works faster and the muscle cells are more receptive. And so there's a fear of going low. And when you're going low during a race like that, uh, it, it could be dangerous. So the, the balance of having to keep my blood sugar high enough to get through the race, but not too high that I'm going to feel sick. And like the other athletes, I'm also taking in thousands and thousands of calories of fuel just to get through the race. So you know, it, it means testing my blood sugar on the handlebars of my triathlon bike going at 20 miles an hour. And it's just, it's a real difficult thing to do. But I chose that because I wanted something hard. I, I thought if I could do something that was so extraordinary, then anybody watching would feel, you know what, maybe I can do something like that. Or a child who has diabetes and their parents are worrying about their future, if they saw what I was doing, maybe that would bring them some hope and comfort that their kid's going to be able to do some amazing things. Right. So for our listeners, not only did you do it once starting in 2006, you've done it 10 times, earned the name Iron Andy, became a national spokesperson to educate people about diabetes and urge them to be proactive like you exercise, you'll get better glucose control and lead a relatively normal, healthy, active life. And then you started a foundation for several years that, uh, offered scholarships to diabetes camps and, and leadership conferences for children and young adults. Andy, leave us that message that I love to hear you say. What is your final message to our listeners? You know, I, I said it earlier, you know, things happen in our lives that we, we don't always ask for and we can't always can control. But the one thing you can't control is your attitude. And I felt that, you know, in a weird way, diabetes was the best thing that ever happened to me because it allowed me to inspire and motivate a lot of people and change a lot of lives. So no matter what, what gets thrown your way, just understand what you can't control. Control the controllables is another way to put it. But I always like to say the only thing you can control is your attitude. Well, that's a beautiful message for anyone dealing with challenge, which is basically everyone. And I thank you for your time today. And congratulations, because this week you are our your real champion. So I thank you and hope that we get to hear from you again in the future. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Happy Halloween. Yeah, you too. Trick or treat. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. Hey, welcome back to our discussion on foot care in diabetic patients with Dr. Elena Wellens from Rothman Orthopedics. Elena, when a patient comes to your office for a visit, what questions should they be prepared to answer? So one of the common questions that I ask patients that patients tend not to know is what is their hemoglobin A1C level? And what that means is what, what have your sugars been running for the past three months? That is a very important number for patients to know. And, you know, in the general population, we like it below six. So I always tell my diabetics, you want to shoot for six and you should start keeping a journal to, to know what is my hemoglobin A1C level, because that's critical in helping to prevent a lot of these complications that we're seeing is, is quality sugar control. 
I will also ask patients what their past history was in terms of their feet or ankles. Were there any injuries, any previous infections or ulcerations, um, any other chronic conditions, whether it's a tendonitis or, or an old fracture, anything that, that could compromise their foot or ankle in any way. Mm -hmm. I also, another important question I ask my diabetics are, do you walk barefoot? And when they tell me yes, I tell them you can't walk barefoot anymore and socks do not count. You definitely need to protect your feet with a good supportive shoe uh, with, a, with a, a sturdy bottom that objects will not penetrate, even if you're around the house. It's very critical to protect those feet. And then I go through a comprehensive list of, you know, what their medications are. Um, are they insulin? Are they non-insulin? And, and those types of questions. Sure. They all make a big difference in how you approach their care and how you advise them. And a history of smoking, please put the cigarettes away. Don't smoke cigarettes because you're already dealing with the uh, large vessels and small vessel disease from diabetes. And then let's add some cigarette um inflammation from those chemicals they inhale to just destroy their large vessels, you're looking for amputation, right? It just magnifies the whole problem. <clears throat> yeah, I don't think patients realize how detrimental smoking is, at, not to every other body part, but right. to the feet. And the combo effect too. So then, then you're on to the examination and you're going to look for signs that increase the risk for ulcers and amputations. So you're going to check all those signs of poor circulation, nerve damage. Tell us about that if you would. Yes. Yeah, so I always check for their pulses. The, the two main pulses in the foot, one is on the top of the foot and one is on the inside of the ankle. Um, I check their protective sensations by using a special instrument called a Semmes-Weinstein monofilament. So I, I touch the bottoms of the feet to make sure they're sensing things properly. I also test their vibratory sensations and their strength. I also do a thorough skin exam looking in between their toes and the bottoms, the tops of the feet, looking for ab any open ulcers, abnormal lesions, even like fungal infections, because that could lead to bigger problems and needs to be controlled. And, um, and then just so the overall integrity of their feet, if there's any like overall like significant deformities, such as contractures or bunions, that could be pressure points that we could certainly help offload. Mm -hmm. And I guess you look for patterns of, uh, you'd call it barotrauma or the pressure from a poorly fitting shoes or, or ingrown toenails. Oh my gosh. That's another one of those things that I think, how does a football player go back in the game with even an ingrown toenail if they have 350 pound people running after them? But I mean, and as we said, if somebody's overweight, which helped them to get the diabetes and, and they're arthritic, Try not to treat yourself and come see Dr. Wellens or the podiatrist near you to get your, your, your nails trimmed or, or have that treatment because you give yourself an ingrown toenail, it just leads to that house of cards you described earlier, that infection, that runaway. So foot ulcers, let's talk a little more about that because they could be acute or chronic, yes? Oh, yes. Uh, they usually will start as an acute episode. And if you catch them early, you have a much better chance of getting them healed. Now, again, the circula circulation plays a very important part in this. So any patient you're initially evaluating for an ulcer, you, you want to make sure they have good circulation. The dilemma we've, we come into is when they start becoming a chronic issue, it does make them more difficult. Sure you know, uh, get more intense wound care involved in that situation. 
Mm -hmm. And I guess, too, if the ulcer's open long enough, then you worry about exposure of other underlying structures like tendons or a joint capsule or a bone. Tell us about that. Yeah, the deeper the ulcer gets, the closer it gets to bone, you're at higher risk of developing something called osteomyelitis, and that is bone infection. And that's when things become very difficult to treat, and that's what leads you down that road in some cases to amputation if we can't get that infection cured in time. Mm-hmm. And and that's not always an easy diagnosis because if you do a regular x-ray, the early changes don't always show when somebody does have osteomyelitis, I always remind my listeners, itis is inflammation of like tonsillitis or sinusitis. Osteo means bone. So if your bone's inflamed, it could lead to in-hospital IV antibiotics and then a big line and IV antibiotics for weeks, not to mention the danger of amputation. So how do you make that diagnosis specifically with an MRI rather than an x-ray or... Yeah, well, in the office, um, if if I can probe to bone, which means if I can stick like a Q-tip and I'm hitting your bone, it's considered mm-hmm. osteomyelitis until proven otherwise. And the next step would be to send the patient for an MRI. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, that usually will, will tell you, is it osteomyelitis? Is it's not? Um, and then the next step would be you can biopsy it to confirm that it is osteomyelitis and also to find out what kind of bacteria are growing in the bone. And that is how you determine what kind of antibiotics to use and whether or not this bone is salvageable. So we want to prevent those further steps. Where do we start? We're going to avoid smoking. Tell us a little bit more what's in your list of suggestions for your patients. Definitely. So any diabetic who comes in, I always say rule number one, sugar control. Definitely have to get the sugars well controlled to decrease your chances of these significant problems developing. Number two is check your feet every day in between the toes, underneath the toes. If you can't bend your feet up, get a full length mirror and hold your foot up to it or ask a family member to help. Um, number three, like I said earlier, do not walk barefoot. Always keep the feet protected. Mm-hmm. Number four is take very good care of your skin. Do a daily moisturizing routine. And if there's any signs of trouble, whether it's an ulcer, a discoloration, an abnormal swelling, or something doesn't feel right, call either your primary, your endocrinologist, or your podiatrist immediately and get evaluated. And I think, too, when you talk about being barefoot, especially when you go outside on a hot deck or hot sand. I've had patients come to me with, you know, for their GI issues, but I find out that imagine just your feet cooking on a grill when you're stepping on hot sand and can't feel it. And you don't have that, as you said, that protective sensation that tells you to to step, you know, jump off and don't cut your toenails to the, to the skin. If you see a sharp edge, maybe use a nail file rather than Clippers, you don't want, uh, you know, a uh, an ingrown toenail, and do not cut your cuticles, and don't let a manicurist do it either. I think people think, well, I'm going to somebody who knows what they're doing. Not so much. Don't cut your cuticles. Yes, that is correct. The cuticle serves as the barrier between the outside world and the inner skin. And it is a barrier to bacterial and to fungal infections. So once you you open up that cuticle, you're exposing yourself to greater risks. 
And I guess your shoes, you want them to fit well, not tight, but there are certain shoes that have sort of a wide toe box, right? To protect those maybe hammer toes or pressure spots for people. Yeah, for diabetics, we generally recommend shoes with a wider, deeper toe box and also shoes mm -hmm. that do not have a lot of flex and bend. You want something with a more structured bottom and shock absorption so that you're not getting a lot of stress through the middle of the foot. Because that's where we talked earlier about Charco. You can get a lot of that Charco collapse in the middle of your foot. So you want to protect it. Mm -hmm. And I guess some patients, again, if they're carrying us to weight, um, it can make it harder for their veins to work properly. Do you recommend um, support hose or special stockings or TEDs that protect from effects of diabetes? Yes, like if a patient comes in and they do have signs of venous insufficiency where they have maybe some varicose veins or that, that edema in the legs, a compression stocking is always a good idea to help reduce the stress on the skin, which could lead to additional ulcerations. Sure. And we just spoke to Iron Andy, a man who has completed the Ironman triathlon 10 times. He's never had a, I, I forgot to ask him, but he's never had a complication of diabetes, never. And you would think with the pounding and all that, but he takes meticulous care. His sugars are super well controlled. It's not a guarantee. Sometimes people, you know, are unfortunate. They get complications of diabetes even when they try, but to not control it to the best of your ability just opens the floodgates for these problems. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's, there's so much our, our diabetic patients can do to kind of help prevent themselves from going down that, that bad path. So mm -hmm. sugar control, weight control, don't smoke and protect your feet. If you mm -hmm. do those things, you're cutting your risks down by quite a bit. And treat yourself to seeing a podiatrist because, uh, you know, even people who don't have diabetes run into trouble trying to trim their own nails if they're having trouble. Let's take a little break and we'll be back with Dr. Elena Wellens. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. And welcome back as we continue our discussion on diabetes and its complications. A very important area of concern is your feet when you have diabetes, and I'm so happy to welcome Dr. Elena Wellens, a board-certified podiatric physician from the Rothman Orthopedic Institute and assistant professor at Temple University School of Podiatric Medicine, who specializes in the treatment of complex foot and ankle disorders, trauma, sports medicine, and she's also active in podiatric research. Today, we'll focus on foot care in diabetic patients. Welcome, Elena. My husband always says, if you have diabetes, you should be married to a podiatrist. <laughs> yeah, diabetes and podiatry do go hand in hand. So I think people need to realize that a podiatrist cares for more than our feet. You address issues all the way to the knee. Um, could you tell us a little bit uh, briefly about the, the range of conditions that you treat? Yeah. So yes, the beautiful thing about podiatry is that it encompasses multiple systems throughout the body. So it's not just the bones and the tendons and the ligaments and the joints. We also deal with the circulatory system, the nervous system, and the skin, which is also considered another organ system of the body. And in particular with diabetics, 
all of these systems combined can be affected in bad ways due to those elevated blood sugars. Mm -hmm. So that leads to the question, how would listeners understand that diabetes causes that damage to our feet and legs? Well, over time with the elevated blood sugars, it causes bad effects on those various systems. So first, talking about the circulation. Over time, the arteries become damaged. You have your larger arteries where they can develop plaques and, and the internal lining of those arteries becomes damaged due to the elevated blood sugars. Then once we get down to the levels of the toes, you're dealing with the microcirculation. These are tiny little capillaries. And over time, as they become damaged, it leads to more serious problems with the circulation. And that's where we see issues such as gangrene, mm. unfortunately, develop in some of our diabetic patients. Mm -hmm. It hurts just to think about it. And then nerve, nerve damage is a, a separate trauma. Tell us about that, if you would. Yes. So with the nerve damage, over time, again, as those sugars are elevated, the sensory nerves in the tips of the toes can start... Uh, becoming damaged. But it's not just the sensations that are damaged. The other parts of the nervous system that control the opening and closing of blood vessels can become diseased. And also your protective sensations. And that's where our diabetics get in trouble. Once they lose their protective sensation as part of that nervous system, that's when the breakdowns begin, such as ulcerations, infections, and in more serious cases, Charcot foot. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about Charcot foot, which is an entity uh, to itself. But I would think, too, if your uh, nerve endings aren't working, you're going to have decreased sweating. The skin gets drier, scaly, and more likely to crack and develop infection. Yeah, that's part of it, too. Yeah, ab absolutely. In our diabetic patients, we really enforce uh, uh, quality skin care. And that does involve a daily moisturizing routine because again, as that, as the nerves supplying the skin don't work properly, that skin does dry out. You can develop fissures and cracks and over time these can ulcerate and lead to those infections. So we've listed about six or seven different issues that are commonly found in diabetes. Let's talk about some of those typical problems that result from the decreased blood flow, that's oxygen and food for your tissues, and the decreased sensation. Let's start with foot and leg ulcers. Okay. So over time is that arterial circulation decreases to the foot and the ankle and the lower leg. That, that arterial circulation is important for bringing down oxygenated blood. If you're not getting enough oxygenated blood down to those tissues, those tissues start to deteriorate and break down. And it usually starts at the toes and works its way up towards the ankle and then up towards the knee. And again, that's where our diabetic patients get in trouble because once those ulcers develop, you can't heal an ulcer without enough blood supply. Mm -hmm. and so that, that is definitely a serious issue. And I would think with decreased sensation, if your shoes don't fit well or you have uh, any kind of trauma to your feet and you don't feel it, that little pink spot can open up that little blister and turn into one of those ulcers. But I also find it interesting when you read more about it, if, if the nerve endings that feed the muscles aren't working properly, then those muscles don't work well and you, your joints become misshapen and that leads to claw toes. Tell us about that. 
or hammer toes, I guess. Yes. So again, we already talked about the nerve supply in the arteries and the skin, but it also supplies all those small intrinsic muscles, those tiny little muscles inside the feet. And when they start malfunctioning essentially because they're not getting enough blood supply or they're not getting enough innervation, that nerve supply from the nerves, they start to malfunction and the toes start to curl up. As those toes curl up, it adds additional pressure spots on your toes and on the bottoms of your feet. So it's this cascade of events. Once these contractures are there, then you can't feel the sensation because of the loss due to the diabetes of that, of that nerve sensation. And on top of that, if you have an impaired blood supply, you get ulcerations that do not heal leading to infections and in severe cases leading to amputation. And I know that if an infection takes over and we're picturing some people, not everyone with type 2, but type 2, if the person's overweight, maybe they have arthritis because they're older, it's hard to look down at your feet when, you know, and we're going to talk about trimming your nails and seeing the podiatrist. But if that infection takes over and the infection goes to your bone, then you're in serious trouble. We could talk about that later too. So we might see delay in healing of ulcers because of blood supply. Fractures or broken bones are more likely too, aren't they? Yes, yes. And that, that kind of brings us over to the, that shark of foot that I mentioned earlier. So over time, with the diabetes, as it's, it's uh, causing the neuropathy or those nerve changes, it's going to affect you in two ways there. Number one, you start losing that protective sensation. So you're walking much more heavily on your foot or you're, you're injuring your foot essentially without realizing you're putting extra force through it. Secondly, the nerves that open and close the blood vessels stop working as well. So in our Charcot patients, they tend to have more circulation available initially. So as those, those arteries open up and stay open when they're not supposed to, it washes out the mineral content of the bone and it makes that bone weaker. So here you are walking on weak bones with a foot lacking sensation over time that foot is going to collapse. You're going to start initially developing micro fractures, but then as time goes on, you can get a full-blown collapse of that foot, and that's what Charcot is. And so the foot becomes misshapen, and then try to try to get a shoe on, and you're adding more possibilities for ulcerations and more damage. That's the best explanation, really. That is the clearest explanation I've ever heard of Charcot joint because it's something people really need to be aware of. And then, of course, amputation, that's a, another really horrible thought for people to have to face. And, and I think by you explaining these um, issues so clearly, maybe it'll help people not be frightened, but be understand the urgency of following with a podiatrist on a regular basis, yes? Oh, absolutely. At minimum, we advise at least an annual foot check as long as you're doing well. And we have the patients come in, we do a full exam of the foot. And then if, there, if problems arise, we advise them to come back sooner. And I know in terms of orthopedics, um, you take care of from the knee down, but in our hands, diabetics are more likely to get carpal tunnel syndrome and Dupuytren's where the uh, the ligaments that let us extend or open up our hands become contracted and it's like a claw hand, yes? Similar pathology? See, similar pathology to the foot, exactly. Mm -hmm. 
Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Elena Wellens from Rothman Orthopedics. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented in part by Recovery Centers of America. When needed, call RCA 1-888-RECOVERY. In our final segment with our superstar podiatrist, Dr. Elena Wallens. Elena, tell us what are some of the latest developments in treating diabetic foot conditions? Well, one of the biggest complaints in the past with patients is as far as those diabetic shoes go, that they're just ugly. I don't want to wear orthopedic shoes. But I have to say over the past several years, a lot of companies have really branched out and they are producing more stylish or fashionable diabetic shoes. So they are giving the appropriate support that a patient needs, but also they're they're okay to wear. You don't look like you're wearing a Frankenstein uh, shoes anymore, which is a good thing, I think. And it encourages patients to wear the appropriate shoes. So that's from the conservative realm. Yeah, which can make a huge difference in somebody's foot care and uh, protecting them. And how about new surgeries or uh, hardware? Yeah, so with diabetes, again, I, I touched earlier on Charcot, and that's a very difficult condition to treat. Um, it's very serious. It can be crippling. And over the past few years, uh, aside from the, the screws and the plates and the external fixers we've used in the past, uh, companies have come up with these newer beaming systems where actually inserting rods, essentially, through the various parts of the foot to almost reinforce that internal skeleton. And it's a really interesting technology, and it does give uh, good support in those difficult-to-treat surgical cases. Mm -hmm. So your big messages are protect your feet, don't go barefoot, be careful with trimming your nails, Uh, especially if you have trouble reaching your feet and you want to check in between the toes and the skin. And if somebody wanted to reach you for an appointment, Elena, what number would they call? Our number for appointments is 1-800-321-9999. Oh, that's easy. And, And if somebody wanted to read more about diabetic foot care, is there a website that you'd refer listeners Yeah, I mean, the American Diabetes Association does a a great job, uh, I think, um, helping patients understand their disease and and ways that they they can treat it. Um, I believe the website's ada.org. I I believe that is the correct website address. Mm -hmm. But the American Diabetes Association is always a fantastic resource. All right, now I want to finish our wonderful interview with you, I'm complimenting you, not myself, with a Halloween quiz question. How do you, how, well, you'll win a prize, you'll win a treat bag if you get it right. How do you complete this poem? Trick or treat, smell my feet. Give me something good to eat. Woo! So you get the bell prize as opposed to the Nobel prize. So r- ring that bell for Dr. Wellens. <laughs> Elena, thank you so much. Our listeners have learned so much. An ounce of prevention, which is always good advice to give. And we really appreciate you being here today. And thank you for that. Happy Halloween. Thank you. Happy Halloween to you too. And now for your real champion. I call this segment Iron Andy. 
When I lived in New York in the 1980s and I could look out my window and see First Avenue, it served as the track for the New York Marathon. The determination and grit were so compelling that my husband trained and finished the race the next year. 26.2 miles of grueling pounding on cement in as little as two hours, not easy. Now think about the Ironman Triathlon. You run a marathon after you've completed a 2.4 mile swim and 112 miles on a bike. Imagine facing 26.2 miles of running with those jelly legs. Meet Andy Holder. At age 36, he was an investment advisor, happily married with two little boys, and this college wrestler and football player was a man of discipline, committed to fitness. He was a drug-free bodybuilder and had already completed his first marathon. So when a routine physical revealed that he had type 1 diabetes, it came as quite a shock. No symptoms or signs, just an elevated hemoglobin A1C and glucose level. How could this diagnosis be accurate? He decided he would fight back. He didn't want his little boys to see him as a diabetic focused on illness. He wanted them to see him as Superman. One way to do that? Complete the Ironman triathlon. <clears throat> Training for a triathlon is demanding. Now add type 2 diabetes, balancing calories, finger sticks to monitor blood sugars up to 70 times in a race, adjusting insulin doses while you're running or on a bike. He also had an insulin pump with a catheter inserted into his abdomen with parts that would need to be changed on a regular basis, and he had to protect that during the swim. And just to make things a little harder, he had to learn how to swim. He went to the YMCA and could barely finish 25 meters without swallowing water. With time, he acquired the skill, but he also found that training could help manage his calories and sugar levels. Soon he realized that sharing his story could also inspire others with diabetes to live without limits. After completing seven Ironman triathlons, he became recognized as Iron Andy and became a national spokesperson for diabetes, explaining that he saw diabetes as a challenge, but also an opportunity to take control of his life and his disease and show others they could do the same. In 2009, Holder launched the Iron Andy Foundation, a nonprofit assisting families with diabetes. The mission? To help children and young adults dealing with diabetes to have a positive approach and be proactive in managing their chronic disease. It included scholarships to diabetes camps and leadership conferences, and he continued it for a few years. By 2019, he completed 10 triathlons, I repeat, 10 Ironman competitions. His message to listeners, people get caught up wasting time and energy worrying about things they can't control. Things happen. One thing you can control is your attitude. And with that message, Iron Andy Holder is truly changing lives. We salute you, Andy Holder, your real champion. Thanks for listening each week. Listen to today's show and all of our shows again on yourradiodoctor.com or on odyssey.com slash 1210WPHT. A very special thank you to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross. As we continue our series on diabetes, we'll be hearing about their new program to prevent podiatry complications of diabetes in an upcoming show. We're also grateful to the support of Rothman Orthopedics and the Recovery Centers of America. Follow us on Facebook and LinkedIn. We love your support. Tell us about a real champion. Lots of great stories to share. Tell us about a medical topic you'd like to hear more about. Send your message to info at yourradiodoctor.com. 
It's Halloween. Say boo to the flu. Get your flu shot, especially this year with continued COVID. You want to protect your immune system when you can. Ladies, I can't let go of October without inviting you to Pink Plus at Jefferson, the program that's nationally recognized. Pink Plus, come for mammogram, gynecology exam, and brief visit to discuss colon cancer screening. Three cancer screenings in one visit. If you're up to date with gynecology, get the double screening with mammogram and GI. 215-503-1631. It's not a trick, it's a treat. Now sit back with a nice hot cup of witch's brew and listen to the haunting yet beautiful sounds of Sinatra. This is your radio doctor. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. I'm Dr. Mary Henrici, wishing you a safe Halloween and a magical week. And remember that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Mary Ann a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.